0: One of our values as a church is that we believe that diversity honors God. We believe that people from different backgrounds, uh, whether it's a male or a female, people of even uh, different economic backgrounds, of people of different generations, People of different cultures and people of different ethnicities and races uh, are created in the image of God, have the dignity and value of being created in the image of God. And therefore, every ethnic group, every race, every culture, every generation, every person deserves to be treated with respect and he deserves to be honored. Amen? Now, before you clap... Uh, tomorrow, as you know, our country celebrates uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s Day. And as a church, it has been our practice and our tradition now for the last few years to actually unite our nation and celebrate with the rest of the nation the remembrance, uh, to remember this men that the Lord used to bring reconciliation, to fight for the right things, uh, to speak on behalf of, of some of the oppressed, and to seek unity. What is interesting about Martin Luther King Jr. is that everything he said and proclaimed and fought for came from the scripture. And that's why we understand as Christians that we ought to celebrate with the rest of the nation that important, the life and ministry of that important man in the history of this nation. Amen? Now we could clap. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful. That we get to be a church, Lord, that believes what the Bible says. That we get to be a church, Lord, in which we proclaim and want to practice and want to embrace the reality that all human beings have been created in the image of God. That we're better together than separate. That we all reflect just a little bit of who you are, regardless of who we are and what we have gone through. I'm so grateful, Lord, that you have not called us to be colorblind, but to be colorful. I'm grateful, Lord, that you allow us to see our differences and see the beauty in our differences because we all complement one another. And therefore, Lord, we are grateful for the life of the ministry of someone like Martin Luther King. And I pray, Lord, that as a church, we continue to strive to become more and more, more and more a multi-ethnic church that embraces people from different backgrounds, and ethnicities, and cultures. Would you please help us become what we already are in Jesus Christ? Would you help us be what we already are in Jesus Christ? Would you help us see the beauty that we all have being created in your image? Lord, and we're praying for this because we believe that that's what the Bible teaches. And therefore, Lord, now we ask that you use the proclamation of your word for the illumination of our minds, the transformation of our hearts, and that you may influence our will so we live accordingly to what you want us to live. Please be with us. May the meditations of our hearts, may the words of our mouth be pleasing to you. Our Lord, our Rock, and our Redeemer. And the church says... All right. Good morning, familia. My name is Hannibal Rodriguez, and I want to welcome you all again. Those of you that are worshiping here with us in person, you guys look amazing. Those of you guys that are worshiping with us online, I hope you look amazing. Um, Those of you that are visiting for the first time, whether here or connecting with us online, we are so glad that you're here. Thanks for being here. Um, You have no idea uh, what a privilege it is that you give us to serve you in any way we can. Uh, today I'm super excited because we are starting a brand new series. We have called it Gospel Culture. In which we're going to be talking about 12 different traits, biblical traits that we find in the scripture that will help us with three things as we step into the future. 12 biblical traits found in the scripture um, that will help us uh, with three things uh, as we move into the future. Number one. My prayer is that through all these series, we find and we see the blueprint the Bible gives us for what it means to be the church. I'm praying that the Lord uses this series to give us a picture of what it means to be the church. The beliefs that we ought to have and the practices that we ought to practice um, that reflect that we are the church. This might be... uh, a refresher for many of you guys, this might be some brand new information for some of you guys that maybe be uh, new to Christianity or exploring Christianity. Um, it is so interesting when you look around and what people call the church today, many times that's not a church. A church is much more than a gathering of people. A church a church is much more than just listening to someone speak or singing a couple of songs. The church is much more uh, Holistic. Than that, And I'm praying that the Lord uses this series to clarify what it means to be the church. Number two, we are uh, doing this series because it gives us a blueprint of all the historical elements, so the historical practices and beliefs that the Lord has used to bring a spiritual revival or spiritual renewal. All these practices and beliefs that the church ought to have, that would help us see if the Lord will bring a spiritual revival. It's important for us to understand that spiritual revival cannot be manipulated. Like we cannot get together and say, we're going to make God bring a spiritual revival. It doesn't work that way. It is the Lord's doing. It is in his sovereignty and wisdom. We cannot create it. On the other hand, we could prefer for it. And the way we prep for it is by believing and practicing the things that we're going to be talking about. This is proven throughout history. And number three, this series is going to help us. It's going to give us the tools, for the lack of a better word, necessary for us as a church to continue to remain faithful and fruitful as we continue to live in the midst of an increasing secular society. It will give us the definition of what it means to be the church. It will prep us to see if the Lord will bring spiritual revival, renewal in our midst, and it will give us the things that are necessary for us to remain faithful and fruitful as we move into the future. Amen? All right, I need you to do me a favor. Can you please turn to the person next to you and say, listen, you got to pay attention. Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> I, I, I still don't understand why that, why that makes you uncomfortable. Today we're going to talk about the first, and I would say, the most important topic. We're going to talk about all of this because everything else we're going to talk about after today flows out of this first one. Today we're going to talk about the supremacy of the scripture. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but the name of the church is Written Bible Church. Meaning that the Bible is at the center of who we are. The Bible is at the center of what we believe. And the Bible ought to be at the center of everything we practice. So we don't want to be a pragmatic church. We don't want to be a church that does cool things. We cool. <laughs> we, we, don't have, we, don't, we don't want to do things because our neighbors are doing it. We don't want to do things because that's what people do to bring more people to Jesus. If, that's, not, that's not what we want to be as a church. We want to be the church that believes the Bible preaches the Bible, teaches the Bible, and applies the Bible. And that everything we do is informed by the Bible. Amen? I could finish the sermon right now, because that should be enough. But this is part of the reason why we read Psalm 19. It's a classic text that talks about the supremacy of the Scripture, the importance of the Scripture, the authority of the Scripture. Um, And what we're going to do today is in the next... uh, Uh, you know half an hour hopefully um i'm gonna answer four questions and i want to prep you for it um because the first two questions i'm going to take a little longer and the last two questions are going to go super fast all right why is the scripture supreme why do we need it who is at the center of it and how do we keep it at the center of our lives why is it supreme why do we need it who is at the center of it? And how do we keep it at the center of our lives? So let's go with the first point. Why is the scripture supreme? Now, if you're a Christian or you have been hanging around with Christians for a while or you're exploring Christianity, you probably already know that one of our core beliefs as Christians, at least Christians claim to believe, is that the God we worship is a God, to, it's a, it's a God that wants to be known. Actually, one of our core beliefs is that God chooses to reveal himself To his people to be known. He makes himself known. And the Bible shows us that there are two different ways in which God makes himself known. One is what we call, or scholars call, general revelation, and the other one is what is called special revelation. General revelation is how God communicates part of who he is through nature, and special revelation is how God communicates who he is through scripture. Now, it's interesting that King David, the one that wrote this psalm, he starts, he talks about these two things. He actually starts with general revelations from verses 1 through 6. And I want to show you how he understands that there's things that we can learn about God just by looking at nature, observing nature. So, for example, verses 1 and 2, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. Declare. Can you say declare? Declare. Proclaim. Reveal. It's pretty simple. It says that there's things that we can know about God just by looking at nature. One of the scholars says that nature is the silent word of God. We don't hear anything, but we can see some things. So we don't need in nature to speak to us directly. We could just see it. There's many things that we could learn about God. This is why in verses 3 and 4, David says this, that that everything created have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. Interesting that when you look at creation, It's like if you're looking at a piece of art that points to the creator's mind. Someone else calls it, it's like if creation is singing about its creator. This is why as Christians, for example, we should practice the spiritual discipline of contemplation. It's when you look at nature, everything that God has created, and if you, you allow nature to speak to you, you can engage your minds and your hearts by seeing the beauty of God, the magnitude of God, the perfection of God, the power of God, the creativity of God, and the worship of the God we worship, and the, and the wisdom of the God we worship. That's what general revelation is. There's a difference, though, between the way we as Christians practice contemplation and the way, let's say, New Age practice Contemplation. See, New Age, look at nature. They do the same thing, and they find it beautiful. But nature is the object of their adoration. So it's like, oh, that's beautiful, and that's it. For Christians, though, we look at nature, and our minds need to go to the God of that creation. He is the one that created all. He is the one that is beautiful. He is the one that we see in everything created. Now, I want to argue that as much as we need uh, general revelation, it's not enough. I want to argue that as much as we practice contemplation, which is needed, it's not enough. Because we cannot fully know everything about God just by the things we see that are created. So, for example, I'm going to make my argument here really quick. I think that if you only base your relationship with God and your knowledge of God in the things you see, that's kind of confusing. So, for example, you look at trees and animals and you look the way the ecosystem works and how one organism fits another organism. And how, every, how everything, when you really pay attention, in a way, complements uh, everything. That's beautiful. And you could say, God is amazing. What a wisdom. What perfection. You see that today. But tomorrow, you see a tornado. Or you see a hurricane. And you see a natural disaster. And if you don't have more information than just the things you see, that's confusing. Because the same God that created these beautiful things... It seems to be, and I'm saying it seems to be, a monster that allows all these things to happen. Those are kind of mixed signals. I don't know if for those of you that are in a relationship, that's kind of what happens when you are in a relationship. For me, for example, let's say that I'm preaching this sermon and my wife is listening to this sermon. And as I'm preaching this sermon, I look at her and she's going like this. Now, listen, I don't know. I don't know what that signal means. Does it mean that I just said something offensive? Does it mean that you're falling asleep, which I doubted because of my tone of voice, right? It doesn't mean that I said something that was not biblical. Does it mean that I got to make the sermon short, which will never happen? (laughs) Or I don't know if my wife is thinking about some other fight that she had with somebody, and she's just like, I don't know. That's a mixed signal. That's what happens when all your information about God comes from general revelation. It's confusing. There could be mixed signals there. And also, God could be misunderstood. Let me give you another example. Think of a lion. I mean, I I think that in nature, lions are beautiful. There's a reason why Jesus is called the Lion of Judah. Right? Have you ever been in a uh, I don't know in a safari in Africa or go to the zoo, but you see the lions and they're they're magnificent animals. They're huge, big, good-looking, elegant, and strong. You ever seen a lion run? National Geographic, or have you ever been running from a lion? <laughs> but but you see the lion, man, and and they move fast. And as they move, you can see the muscles all here in the shoulders. And you can see the mane just flying right behind. It's just magnificent to see it. And people could say, wow, that animal is so beautiful. God is amazing. But then you see the same lion running after Bambi. You ever seen, if you don't know who Bambi is, that means that you're super young. But I gotta tell you, man, when you see that the same beautiful lion with Bambi in his mouth, that's not beautiful. (laughs) It is not beautiful. Don't you think that that could be God could be misunderstood? Especially if you think, especially if you think that animals have the same value and dignity that human beings, God could be misunderstood. Therefore, General revelation, as beautiful as it is, as important as it is, is not enough. You need the spoken, written word of God. It is not enough for us to know God through what he has revealed in nature. And that's what verses 7 through 10 talk about. You don't get to know God unless you know his word. So, for example, look at here from verses 7 to 9. Pay attention to the word Lord. It says uh, that the law talks about the law of the Lord. Can you say Lord? Lord. The statutes of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commands of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the decrees of the Lord. Now, notice a couple of things that I want you to see there. Number one, notice the different words that are used to describe the word of God. Law, statutes, precepts, commands, fear, decrees. We're going to get back to that later on. But notice that attached to every single one of those, you find the word Lord. Which the word Lord there is the most personal name God has. Yahweh. Personal name, covenant name. Says that he's a God that wants a personal relationship with people. And he is the God of covenants. Meaning that once he embraces a person and the person embraces him, he never walks away. Even if you sin, he never walks away. Now, why is that important? There's a reason why David attached the word of God to the personal name of God. And I think that the interpretation is super simple. You gotta see that everything that God says, everything that God commands, everything that God demands does not come from a God that wants to make your life miserable. Everything that God says, commands, and expects of you does not come from a God that wants to take your joy away. Everything that God says and commands and expects of us comes from a God that wants a personal covenant relationship with you. Therefore, your attitude toward the Word of God is your attitude toward God. You don't get to pick the person of God without the Word of God. Let me put it this way. Everything that God says, His laws, His statutes, precepts, commands, fear, and and decrees, are expressions of who He is. Everything that God says comes from who He is. If that is true, then to know the Word is to know God. To allow the Word to shape your life is to allow God to shape your life. This is not God making us, uh, trying to make our lives miserable. This is God speaking in a very personal way. You know when you see it like that? You will find everything in the Bible, even the things that are complicated... Precious. That's why David said in verse 10. Look at what he says they are, talking about all these words of God, more precious than gold, than pure gold. They are sweeter than honey. It's so interesting because when you see that every word written in this book comes from God, that is a reflection of the character of God, every word becomes precious, desirable, a treasure in your heart. Now, for example, for those of us that started reading the the Bible reading plan with us as a church, you know, we started, um, no, let me change that. But when you read through the Bible, you go to Genesis and everything is good and beautiful, right? And you keep going, you get to Leviticus and somehow you don't really don't enjoy Leviticus. (laughs) Right? Because it's a bunch of different laws. Now, it might be hard to understand because we're in a different cultural setting, but I got to tell you that every law that you find there comes from the heart of God. Someone that is good. Merciful, powerful, present, all the time. Once again, your attitude toward the Word of God is your attitude toward God. That's why the Word must be supreme. Now, let me, let me, just in case you're not convinced yet, let me add some more. Let's look again at these words used to describe the Word of God. Let me go back. The law, statutes, precepts, command, fear, and decrees. And he tells you here, with every single one of these words, all the reasons why we should believe it. And why, he's going to give us all the reasons why the word of God, it's a necessity. Let me walk you through this really quick. When the psalmist is using the word law, he's talking about the revealed will of God. You know what that means? That if you want to know what God likes or he doesn't like, what God loves and what God hates, you got to know the word. Listen up, church, we don't get to decide what parts of the Bible we like. We don't get to decide my favorite books of the Bible, which we all have. Nothing wrong with that. But at the end of the day, every verse, every chapter, every word, every book is a revealed word of God. Everything God says, every law is a revealed will of God. Mark Twain used to say... It ain't the parts of the Bible that I cannot understand the ones that bother me. It is the parts of the Bible I do understand the the ones that bother me. See, Mark Twain didn't get it. We don't get to say to the Bible, you know what, I like this one, that one I just don't like. You don't get to have a relationship like that with God or anybody else. The word statutes here means that God, everything that God says is true. There are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. Every single one of them true. There are 31,102 verses in the Bible. Every single verse inspired by God. Everything the Bible says is true. And everything the Bible says, therefore, must be sufficient. Everything that we know everything that we need to know in regards to salvation, God, all these things have to do with the spiritual life, it's there. The word precepts means that the word of God is perfect. Means that there are no errors in the word of God. I know that a lot of people might misunderstand a verse, misapply a verse, or misinterpret a verse, but that is not the Bible's problem. That's our problem. You have to be able to trust the word of God Because the word of God is sufficient, is true, and is perfect. The word commands in the scripture talks about God's authority. He tells you how you are supposed to live, how I'm supposed to live. Everything that God commands comes with the authority of God. Listen up, church. If you want to have a relationship with God, you have to allow His will to cross your will. If the God you worship does not cross your will, that is not the God of the Bible. He talks about the fear of the Lord. I think that the word fear there could be translated as reverence, meaning that it is in the pages of the Scripture that we learn to have reverence for our God. He talks about decrease, meaning that the Word of God tells you what is right, and what is wrong. You don't get to create your own morality, you know? This is not, church. You don't get to choose which sins you consider to be worse sins. If the Bible calls it wrong, regardless of what you think, you feel, the culture says, or you have experienced, wrong is wrong according to the Bible, right is right according to the Bible. The Bible comes before your politics. The Bible comes before your convictions, your, your uh, personal convictions, if you will. The Bible comes before your emotions. The Bible comes before your, your uh, history. The Bible must be supreme if you want to have a relationship with God and if you want to be part of the church. This is the way Tim Keller, Tim and Kathy Keller puts it in their book, um, Devotional book in the Book of Psalms. They said everything the Bible asserts is true. It must be followed regardless of our emotional likes, cultural customs, and popular opinion. Also, God's word is eternal. Nothing in the Bible says, nothing the Bible says, can go out of date. We do not need to modernize, correct, or supplement it. Certainly, the word is more than, more than simply a book of truth statements. It is the way to know God and his sufficient love. But this encounter is based on these doctrinal commitments to the full inspiration and authority of the Bible. I'll explain that in a second. If we cannot trust what it says of God, we cannot know the God it shows us. This is what he says, or they say. You will not experience a relationship with God unless you choose to trust the Bible. You have to choose to trust it in order for you to see it. That's why the Bible must be supreme. So let me share a testimony uh, that I heard this week, and it's kind of my dream for this church. So uh, once a month as a staff, we come together. Um, And by the way, the person that I'm going to mention here is here this morning, and I did not ask for permission. It's all right. So once a month we come together, we have a meal together, and one of us every now and then share a testimony. And this week, uh, Donna Stone got to share her testimony. For those of you who don't know who Donna is, she used to be my predecessor's uh, administrative assistant, and now she's my assistant. You know what that means? That she runs the church, basically, <laughs> right? Uh, she wrote this sermon, and I, I think so far it's pretty good. Uh, but, but as she's sharing the testimony, something caught my attention, because she says that she grew up in church. So she, she grew up listening to the Word of God, being preached, uh, memorizing the Word of God. She had, like, one of those typical testimonies of church kids and she says that for a for a season in her life she felt that her testimony was boring you know why because she didn't go through a lot of stuff that we have gone through listen there's people here that have some crazy powerful testimonies that the lord rescued you from. who knows what right and praise god for that But as I'm hearing this testimony, and as I'm hearing this phrase, and then of course she says that at the end of the day she realized that her testimony was just as powerful because it was God working in her. You know that when I think about this church, and let's say I think about the younger generation, I want a church that is full of boring testimonies. (laughs) I want a church in which our kids grow listening, memorizing, and applying the Scripture. I want a church that maybe not might be that cool, but are grounded in the Bible. I want a church that people know by heart the scriptures. I want a church that if they open you up, they see scriptures coming out of your veins. I want to see a church in which we sound religious because we are living what the Bible says. That's the kind of church I want. That's the kind of church I'm praying for. That's the kind of Christian I want to be. That's the Christian I want you to be. The supremacy of the Scripture. I'm inviting you to believe and trust the Bible. To look at His laws, His statutes, precepts, fear, decrees. And find them precious. Because those are all reflections of who God is. The God we worship. Question number two. You would think that that's enough, but I want to argue that you need it. Much more than what we just said. Now, let me me point to you again, verses 7 to 9 again. And look at what it says. It says that the word is needed to refresh our soul. That it makes the simple wise. That it gives joy. That it gives light to our eyes. That it endures forever. And that everything the Bible says is righteous. Now listen up, church, because the Bible refreshes your soul... That means then that there is no spiritual renewal. That's what the word refresh there means renewal. There is no spiritual renewal and there is no restoration of your true identity unless the Bible is read, preached, applied, and memorized. That's what the Bible says. You can't do it without the Bible. It says that because the Word of God is active, it never comes back empty. It produces joy, illuminates your mind, and it gives you understanding. It says because the Bible endures forever. Listen up, church. That means that the word is always relevant. It doesn't matter your ethnicity, your background, your history, where you come from, your season in life, whatever you struggle with. Whenever you read the Bible, the Bible is always relevant. We don't need anything else to be relevant as Christians. The Bible is always relevant. It says that the word is righteous. There's no reason why we should not believe and trust the Bible. Do you know why we have a hard time with that, though? All right, this is family, right? How many of you guys have ever read a passage or heard a preaching of a passage in which you kind of, inside, kind of struggle with that? Raise your hand. Okay, how many of you guys completely believe everything in the Bible? We want to. But if you're honest, not always. Man, I could use uh, right now. I could think of five verses that it was going to make everyone uncomfortable. <laughs> you know why we struggle with the Bible sometimes, even as Christians? Because the Bible says that we're simple. Notice, did you notice that it says that it gives wisdom to the simple? You know what? That assumes that we are simple. Because if we wouldn't be simple, we we wouldn't need that wisdom. You know what simple means? That the tendency of the human heart is to believe anything and be influenced by anything. And someone might hear that and say, well, that's not me. You don't know yourself, bro. (laughs) Did you know that everything you believe has been influenced by your history, your family, your culture, your ethnicity, and your personal experiences, and your traditions? No one comes to the Bible neutral, you know? We have the tendency to read into the Bible the things that we already have preconceptions about. That's why you got to be careful. Perfect example. Everyone in this room, every single person in this room can hear my accent. Except one person. Me. (laughs) You know why? Because I'm already conditioned to my accent. Have you ever heard your voice in that recording? Well, that's not me. Yeah, that's you. Your voice is annoying. (laughs) You know why he said we can't hear it? Because we are already conditioned to the way we hear ourselves. That's why David says that we are simple. And that's why David says in verses 11 through 13, which I don't know why this thing keeps skipping. By them, the word of God, your servant is warned. But who can discern their own errors? You know, that's a rhetor- uh, rhetorical question. He's saying nobody can discern how messed up we are. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. You know what that means? Unless the word of God shapes you, unless you let the word of God shapes you, you would always be ruled By your simplicity, by your sins, and by the things that you are already conditioned to. You won't make it without the word of God. Let me quote here uh, Charlie Dates, which is a pastor from the south side of Chicago. Uh, I quoted this before, but I haven't found anything better. He says, his word is like his. And since he don't die, his word cannot die. And since he endures, his word endures. The word is God, the word of God is living. Its predictions are correct, its judgments are indisputable, its corrections are timeless, its assertions are reliable. It is fresher than tomorrow's news. It is more definite than our constitution. It is the backbone of science. It is the foundation for the highest philosophy. It is the inspiration of poets. It is the entrance of music. It will build your faith. It will fight your temptation. It will light your path. It will clarify your decisions. It will will feed your soul. It will clean your conscience. Time cannot age it, and ages do not time it. The word of God is alive, and you have never read a book like it. It is the word of God. Can you see why the word is supreme? There is no spiritual transformation. There is no church. There's no faithfulness. There's no fruitfulness unless the word is supreme at church and at home. Question number three, who's at the center of it? Now, I'm not going to spend much time on this because this is the topic for next week. And if I say it today, then you won't come back next week. (laughs) But suffice to say, for now, that unless we have the Scripture as supreme, we cannot see or know or embrace Jesus. Because the entire Scripture points to Jesus. And you would ask, Hannah, well, where would you get that from, from the text? Well, it's super interesting, because at the end of the text... Uh, uh, David finishes with this sentence. He says, or this quote, he says, May these words of of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. But the word pleasing there is the same word that is used for sacrifice. Lord, my Lord, my rock, and my Redeemer. Now, this is what David did not know, but he was being inspired by the Holy Spirit. He's saying that the only way our words become pleasing to the Lord, who is our rock and redeemer, is when there is a sacrifice in between. When there is another, another, quote-unquote, Lord, when there's someone that will protect us and there will be someone that redeemed us. Notice that he doesn't describe God as a judge or a sin accuser. He talks about God as rock and redeemer. So this is what David did not know that we know today, that the Spirit was leading him to write because he wanted to prepare the way for another one that will come, a greater David, actually, and the imprint of God the Father, the one that the New Testament called the Lord of Lords in 1 Timothy chapter 6. The one that will be, will be the ultimate protection, the one that will be the ultimate redeemer, according to Galatians chapter 3, the redeemer that will be the ultimate sacrifice dying for the simple, the redeemer that is also called the wisdom and the power of God, according to 1 Corinthians 18, the redeemer's sacrifice that the entire scripture points to, the one that John calls the Word of God. See, the Bible must be supreme. Because if we don't have the Bible as supreme, we don't get Jesus. We don't get Jesus. And we don't get Jesus. The Bible only condemns you, but it doesn't save you. You see that? So come back next week. (laughs) So we could talk about why the Bible talks about Jesus being at the center of it. For us, the Bible must be supreme because without it, we cannot have a relationship with God. Without it, we cannot know Him. Without it, we cannot change and be transformed. Without it, we cannot see, know, and believe in Jesus because the entire Bible points to Him. Question number four. How do we keep the Word in the center of our lives? So I want to invite you... Let's talk about your personal decisions first. I want to invite you, we do this all the time, but I want to invite you to read, meditate in the Bible regularly. So if you haven't joined us as we read the Bible together, two chapters a day, do it. Listen, the worst thing that you could do, because I've gone through this. Every time people get a plan, you start reading and you skip a couple of days for some reason, and then you give up. Like, I'm not going to... No, just skip it. Keep on reading. You know what you should do? Read. And you know what I should do after that? Read some more. And you know what I should do after that? Read more and more and more and more. You, we are used to quick changes, but I want to invite you to see your life 20 years from now. And you will be able to see what the word was doing little by little. I want, you to, I want you to be saturated by the Word of God. I want your kids to be saturated by the Word of God. This is the reason why, as a church, we commit ourselves to teach, reteach, and apply the Bible. This is why, as a church, we commit ourselves to help you read, to help you understand, to help you um, uh, shape your heart by the things that the Bible says. This is the reason why we are committing ourselves before the congregation to let the Bible dictate and inform everything we do. Because we understand that without the Bible, this is just a club, not a church. And without the Bible, there's no spiritual renewal. And without the Bible, there's no faithfulness and there's no fruitfulness. Amen? Let's be people of the Word. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that you are not silent. You spoke to us in creation but you spoke more clearly in the written word of God I pray Lord that you give us people that is obsessed with the scripture I pray Lord in the name of Jesus that you give us a whole generation of kids with unquote unquote boring testimonies I pray Lord that you teach us how to be transformed by the power of the gospel by the power of the the gospel which is the word of God I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that we may find your word precious. That we meditate on it day and night. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says...